Hi, everybody. Welcome to The Right Side with Doug Billings. Please make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on all of your favorite podcast platforms. We are on all of them, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Stitcher. We're on all of them. Also, if you want to watch uh, the podcast, we are also on YouTube. Do us a favor, go over there and subscribe to the channel. Make sure that you like the videos. Today, a special guest. We have Jenny Beth Martin, who is the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots. Now, many of you have seen uh, some of the videos that I've done with regards to the White Coat Doctors, the, the press conference that they gave on the steps of the Supreme Court. Jenny Beth is uh, a member of that group. She helped organize and coalesce that group of doctors together. She's spoken uh, in front of the president at a roundtable discussion about COVID-19 and the impact that it has on children and our schools. So, Jenny Beth Martin, thank you very much for joining us here today on The Right Side. We appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. Jenny, can you walk us through what inspired you to, um, to, to, to research the COVID-19 effect of children, you know, the school closings, and then especially how did you help to organize the White Coat Doctor group that we saw on television? Um, I, I first realized that there could be a potential with COVID um, really from Steve Bannon's War Room um, podcast. I was doing a lot on that during the impeachment, and he mentioned he was about to launch the War Room pandemic. And so I started learning about this in January. And then my children went on a mission trip with our church for a week during February. And it was um, not the very end of February, but the, the latter part of February. And I realized the border had been shut down and I was kind of tracking this virus around the, the world. The border had been shut down to China and I was trying tracking the virus around the world, making sure that my children did not get stuck in Honduras oh, yeah. without me. And so I really wound up learning a lot about the virus very, very early and watched it spread around the country. So when we hit slow the spread, I was, um, I think I was ahead of a lot of a lot of people. I w had already figured that we were going to to be in a situation where we might be locked in our houses or in quarantine, and was prepared for that. So once that part began, and I started realizing how many people were very quickly losing their jobs and losing their livelihoods, I was trying to figure out ways that we could try to get things back we're not back to normal, but at least find a way to balance the very seriousness of this virus with the ability to um, live our lives and for people to earn their livelihood. And then I have children who are will be um, seniors in high school this year, so they'll be in 12th grade. And I just wanted to, I, I saw that it was really affecting them and their their friends and their some of their friends seemed like they were becoming radical online from things they were seeing online. And just not being in school is not good for kids. And we can see that just even with the riots, when kids don't have something to do, they're gonna find something to do. Right. I couldn't agree more. We, we, on this program, we've interviewed since it's election season, obviously, we've had some candidates on during primary season and so forth. And a, a large part of the topic that we've covered is, uh, is, you know, governors in various states and so forth who are opting to use a one-size-fits-all approach for states, you know, uh, that oftentimes are the, the, the total population of COVID-19 is so minuscule, it's affected so little people that they just want, they shut down the entire state. There are counties that don't have any cases 
of COVID. And these children, I thought we've also had, I also have a senior in high school who happens to have a Down syndrome, very high functioning little guy. But, you know, special needs parents also realize that their kids need structure. They need, you know, they need to have schedules that are set and they anticipate these things. But even the typical kids now feel a sense of hopelessness, at least the ones that I've spoken with, about athletic scholarships or academic scholarships and so forth. And you know, and I've, I've heard you say before also on some of your other interviews that, you know, parents oftentimes don't have enough money to buy one computer, let alone three or four, for three or four different children to take courses on Zoom, and never mind how ineffective Zoom is, right? Yeah, that is exactly right. Um, I, I started, Georgia opened uh, opened um, earlier than so many other states, and our governor was being attacked for doing that. So I was paying attention and really tracking what was going on in Georgia. And I realized even after we had been open for several weeks, people were not coming out. They were afraid to be out still. And so I started interviewing doctors around the country. The CDC released the guidelines about um, how to reopen schools and they seemed completely unworkable to me. I asked the doctors what they thought about them and they agreed. And I made sure that my thinking was medically sound. I'm not a doctor, but I wanted to make sure I wasn't saying things that actually would be putting people in, in um, fentanyl, um, physical harm. So um, that, that made me be in tune with a lot of things that were going on with kids. What you just mentioned about the special needs children, I never even considered that because my children are, are not special needs. So I just, that wasn't even on my radar in March and April, but I interviewed these doctors and I realized, oh my goodness, these parents, they depend on the school system to help supplement the, the structure for those children and making sure that they are getting the right kind of education because that kind of education is much more specialized and it, it's very important. And I was hearing really tragic stories about a few single moms who had special needs children who were looking at institutionalizing their children because they just couldn't, they couldn't do it. So that that aspect just, it just makes me think people don't understand. It's easy to be afraid. It's very easy to be afraid and create these huge monsters inside of our head about what will happen if we go back out and start living again. And the news just feeds that. They just yeah. feed it all day long. Yep. Not Absolutely. paying attention to the reality and how difficult our fear is making it for other people who are trying to survive. Absolutely. Yeah, they, they do. The media runs with the narrative that I think is contrary to what what I view as common sense. Now, you and, and your and the doctors and so forth that you've you've met and I, I you know, the white coat stomach doctors and so forth. It, it, from what I've gleaned from them is, is exactly what the CDC has said. Again, children, statistically speaking, are unaffected. That doesn't mean that they won't get it, but it doesn't mean that we have to walk out onto the ledge of panic if they do get it. They handle it actually quite well. And I, and I think I heard Dr. James Tordero, is that how you pronounce Tadara. it? Tadara. Tadara, yeah, saying that, you know, um, there is not one case in the world that's documented with the school-aged children, a child, passing the virus on. To anybody else, what what can you tell us about those the actual science behind, you know, in a Reader's Digest version, the science behind what those white coat doctors and yourself are trying to tell us with regards to children and COVID. 
Well, you're right. Children can get sick from it. So it would be wrong for me to say they cannot get sick. And in fact, we do know that adults have passed the illness on to children. Children seem to fight the virus very, very quickly in their body, which um, apparently either acts as a means to block the transmission of the virus or certainly makes it where they're not transmitting it back to, to adults. And there's no documentation of, of that happening. And we can look at, at Europe. 22 European countries reopened schools and they did not see any significant increase in the spread of virus to teachers, to other school, school staff and administrators, or to the adults in the family. So I think that's really important. We're not we're not going we're not going to try to land on the moon for the first time other countries have already been reopening schools yep. so we know what will happen we're not paving new ground or, or or blazing a new trail with this we're just trying to to get things back the way that they need to be absolutely and i am i i again school-aged children are one thing they they if they get it they battle it quite well they recover statistically speaking of course and have very few conditions we've always said you know, in the history of viruses, we've said that, look, if you're medically fragile or if you have a pre-existing medical condition or you're elderly, obviously wash your hands, take care of yourself, wear a mask if it makes you feel safer. But the one size fits all strategy seems to be just outlandishly crazy on one side of the coin and then also ineffective because we destroy um, more people financially, emotionally and intellectually than the virus would ever touch. Don't you think? Yeah, that is exactly true. We really are doing that. So you think about the kindergarten students and the elementary school students, they really need that face-to-face -face interaction to learn the way they are supposed to. Now, I'm not saying that parents cannot teach them. Parents can, um, and there are plenty of homeschooling parents who plan to do that. But plopping your kid in front of a computer and saying, here, just watch the screen and you'll learn everything you need to do. If that is all we needed, why would we even send kids to school in the first place? Why have we invested so much in right. the, the schools around the country. Middle school students bully each other. They're not supposed yeah. to, but it happens. They pick on each other. The last thing in the world they need is to be online, alone, unsupervised, where they can, can even do more middle school behavior that we've all experienced yeah. at one time of our life. And then high school students and college students I, I just really worry about them because we're taking away their hope for the future. There are so many people who are unemployed that those students will have difficulty finding jobs right now. So it's difficult for them to find productive things to do. We adults who had financial obligations and were working back in, in February and March, we need to have the time to get things our economy recovered just enough so that those kids that are graduating and need jobs have something to look forward to. And so giving them a little bit of time in school while we do the work that we need to do over the next several months will, will help them in the long run. And they deserve that. My goodness, think about how much money we've borrowed from their future to pay for this pandemic right now. Exactly. And again, as I said, we've interviewed several high school students here on the program and to a T. All of them, I mean, all of the ones that we've spoken to, and, and according to them, all of their friends, and they use the word all, I can't verify with a statistic how, what percentage of them, but, but they say all want to go back to school. And they do feel robbed 
of their chances to, for example, be seen by athletic scouts to get a scholarship to college or their academic scholarships, or they can't, they can't even visit their college of choice for an orientation because of the one size fits all shutdown and lockdown of, of the country. So I think you're absolutely right. They do feel hopeless. And it's a shame that, um, that I, I think that certain politicians, because it's an elect, election cycle, an election season, that they just feel like this is um, another way to perhaps hurt their op- opponent, if you know what I mean. Uh, yeah, I think that there's that. And I think there are two other things going on. One is just when people get power, they don't like to relinquish power. So there's yeah. probably some power plays going on around the country, whether it is well-intentioned or not, that's just part of human nature. And the other thing is, I do not want to discount the fact that there are parents around the country, I know I've talked to them, who really are afraid. There are adults around the country where their, parent, their parents are not, who are truly afraid of this virus or afraid that that more horrible things are still to come. And my hope is that we can talk to them with facts. If they don't believe what I'm saying, they can listen to the doctors who I've interviewed. If they don't wanna listen to that, call your own doctor and make sure you have your own personal health assessment so you can balance what are are you at risk for versus when staying at home versus going out and beginning to live again. And that's just, it's difficult for me to go, oh, don't do that. You shouldn't be that way. When I understand their fear is genuine, I just want to be able to, to help them understand it it's not as bad as what they have conjured up. I'm not saying it's not bad. I'm not saying it's not real. I'm not saying people are not dying. They are. All of those things are accurate. It's real. It's terrible. If a family member has died from it, you're going to be much more worried about it. And I understand that. And at the same time, we have to learn how to balance all of that with the fact that that we have to be able to live again. Right. Absolutely. Very well said. Um, it's frustrating, though, you know, when we try to get the word out and the white coat doctors, you know, I posted their video uh, on, on our show on, and on the social media platforms, Google, YouTube. They all take it down, though, Jenny. They, they take down the message that I think is a truthful one. So to a degree, it's frustrating. And, I, and I, I'm very appreciative that you come on and you try to get the truth out to as many people as you can on this program and others. And so we appreciate that very much. But it is it's frustrating the way that you're censored. Yeah, the way that they um, took our, our videos down, it, it was actually rather shocking the, how swift and how, um, how it happened everywhere. It just happened on, tw- on Google, on, on um, the, the Google platforms, on Twitter, on Facebook. It just happened everywhere, and it happened very, very quickly. But the fact is, we, they need to, the big tech companies need to just take a step back and think about what they're doing and the kind of precedent that they're setting. Forget the fact that you may not agree with what's being said. Do you really want to create a platform where you say the only acceptable speech that meets our community standards is speech that the government has deemed is okay for you to say? Is that really the kind of platform you want to set up? And I don't, I, I think they're not thinking it through. And And they also are discounting the fact that there are different medical opinions right now and that the CDC itself has changed its mind several times on the guidance it has given about this virus. So just because the CDC is saying something right now doesn't mean they won't be saying something different. But how will they ever get the information that may make them or the FDA change their mind if they're not even hearing the message at all? 
Absolutely. Very well said. Your passion and uh, your, your charisma about that entire situation comes across crystal clear, and I couldn't agree more. I think that it's, it is amazing how quickly you know, and I'm, I, you know, I don't know if it's the fact that the government is making decisions, to, but certainly people like Mark Zuckerberg are. And if, if one or two people in Google, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter can control what we see in the public square, that's a bit frightening, uh, at least in my opinion, very frightening. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this has been uh, Doug Billings with Jenny Beth Martin on the right side. We appreciate Jenny's time. She is uh, the author of Tea Party Patriots, The Second American Revolution. She's also the co-founder of Tea Party Patriots. You've seen her undoubtedly on television uh, in association with the White Coat Doctors and President Trump's roundtable on schools, COVID, and opening up schools again in the, in, in the world of COVID-19. Jenny Beth, I can't thank you enough for, uh, for coming on the program um, one last thought, anything that's particular that you want to drive home to the audience with regards to this topic before we say so long? Um, I just think that it's really important that you work with your local school system to get the school open. And it, it, I, I think most school systems that are opening are giving an alternative so you could do online learning or in-person learning. Really work with them and do whatever it takes to get the school open so that your children have that option. Excellent. Very well put. Again, Jenny Beth Martin, thank you very much for your time and joining us today on The Right Side. We appreciate it very much. Good luck with what you do. Thank you for what you do. And may God continue to bless you and the United States. Thank you very much. You're welcome.